Welcome to Pop Shield. I'm Dan, and uh, we're going to take a little bit of a summer break this week. But to hold you over, we've got some old reviews from our uh, previous podcast, Metaphoric Music. We got some requests uh, to review Lou Reed and Neil Young. So uh, we'll bring you our review of Metal Machine Music from Lou Reed and uh, a couple Neil Young reviews to hold you over. Don't forget, you can always request whatever you'd like at popshieldpod at gmail.com. We'll see you in two weeks, and enjoy. All right, that was a clip of our Sunday classic Lou Reed's Metal Machine Music, which was released by RCA in 1975 and on Sunday of last week, got an 8.7 and a review by Mark Richardson. A little bit of background. By 1975, the now legendary Lou Reed's popularity was skyrocketing for the first time in his storied career. The classic Transformer from 1972 had been a huge hit. Uh, Sally Can't Dance from 1974 was his highest charting album to date. And what's more, the public was just beginning to recognize his previous band, The Velvet Underground, as one of the best of all time. Naturally, Reed used this opportunity to sabotage everything with one of the most challenging and controversial albums ever released. Metal Machine Music is a double LP consisting only of modulated guitar feedback with no rhythm, melody, or structure to be found. Critics at the time were completely baffled even offended, and Reed added to the confusion himself. At various points, he's implied that the record was a fuck you to his newfound plebe fans, an attempt to get out of his record contract, and uh, a serious attempt at pushing the boundaries of the avant-garde and the style of early collaborators and inspirations like Lamont Young, Tony Conrad, and his old buddy John Cale. Pitchfork's surprisingly glowing review notes that the maligned and forgotten record was later dis- rediscovered by artists like Sonic Youth, uh, Merzbau, and uh, many others who used it as a template for inventing noise rock, drone, and just experimental noise in general. Indeed, though most people are not brave enough to listen to the actual album all the way through, Metal Machine Music is now recognized as a landmark of sound art. We've talked before about how much we love Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground many times, I think. But what is your previous familiarity with uh, this album in particular, guys? Yeah, I'm 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 a huge fan of uh, Lou Reed and uh, his his solo uh, catalog. Um, in fact, named uh, we just got a new dog, and its name is Lou Reed. Um, <laughs> but I, I for some reason was always I, I've always known the story of Metal Machine music, but. It just kind of had this mystique, and I didn't want to ever really kind of ruin it. And I, I, this was the first time I had listened to it was uh, last week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, a big Velvet Underground fan. Little, little bit of uh, Lou Reed's solo career, not not so much. So this is definitely a, a first time for me as well. Yeah, I'm basically in the same boat. I've heard you know tons and tons about this album, but you know it's like I basically had never heard someone speak positively about it until Pitchfork reviewed it this week, to be honest. You know, I always heard it was like, you know, just seemed like this thing that if you knew the story, you knew all you needed to know. So I was really surprised to see them throwing an 8.7 on that thing. But uh, let's do it, guys. Let's try to describe the sound of Metal Machine music. All right. Well, the sound of Metal Machine music. What uh, One of the things of the story is that, like, no one is actually really sure how he made this record because <laughs> he made it by himself uh, in his, uh, his like, loft. Um, I'm sure the neighbors were fucking so happy about that. <laughs> but um, what, what it is is uh, essentially everyone thinks it's, like, just guitars leaned against amps uh, in different tunings. And um, so he takes that, you know, you get the the, the feedback. Um, he runs it through God knows what the uh, the record jacket like lists a bunch of uh, equipment that's all complete nonsense. None none of it's none of <laughs> yeah. it's real or exists or anything. Um, and then it's also so you've got this like modulated um, guitar feedback uh, drone sound, um, but then 
he just takes it twice and the you know it's in stereo and the uh, the left and the right channels are completely different it's um it's two right. two completely different tracks uh playing on uh, either side of your head but one thing you know people have always described it as um you know, modulated guitar feedback. And generally when you think like feedback, it's always like a real high, you know, that piercing, you know, eh, yeah. kind of noise. And that's what turned, um, that's why I kind of was like, even I don't really fucking yeah, want to yeah. listen to an hour of that. Um, but it's really kind of not that it's, it's much closer to just the drone that I think a lot of people, um, are much more used to today. I, th- I think it just was like, uh, severely ahead of its time. Um, I'll, I'll save my opinions until Darren uh, can add to the sound here. Yeah, I mean, I <clears throat> don't really have a whole lot to add. I mean, if you've listened to, I guess, a drone record or noise record, I don't think this will strike you as, like, way out of the ordinary. I mean, obviously for its time, if you're thinking of the, of the right. historical sense, it's it's definitely kind of a, a landmark or a you know, almost like a shocking type of album to, to, to come out. Um, I mean, it just sounds like a lot of weird noises that don't, you know, obviously don't really repeat, don't seem to really follow any kind of a structure. It just sounds like experimentation sort of happening live and all being captured. Um, there's like four tracks, I think. Right. And then, but they don't, they all just kind of like flow right into one another. I didn't well, know. they just, like, end when you had to flip the record, basically. Okay. It's hard to tell if it's just one long thing or uh, different things. I mean, that's the weird thing about this record, right, is that it sounds like the same thing for the entire hour, but or a little more than an hour. But really, if you listen closely, it's, like, changing constantly. I mean, yeah, the story, like you said, Dan, is that, you know, basically if these guitars were just leaning up against each other or, you know, leaning up against the amps, you know, they would start to feedback as the, you know, sound starts to vibrate the strings. And then the two, you know, amps and two guitars would sort of actually like modulate each other by, you know, the feedback would be hitting one guitar differently than the other and it would create new sound, which would then, you know, affect the other one. So it's sort of like this process music or like this self-perpetuating, self-evolving thing. I think on top of that, there's, you know, I've read a bunch of conflicting stuff, but, you know, like you said, they're left and right channel um, doing something completely different. But I've heard that there are actually two takes in each left and right channel. It would really be hard to decide. <laughs> um, reminiscent kind of of like Ornette Coleman's you know famous uh, free jazz album um, where it's just like two separate performances, mm-hmm. one in each uh, ear. But I think on top of that is layered some kind of like, you know, tape modulation stuff. Because you can sort of hear like what sounds like riff, like totally atonal like guitar playing sometimes like sped up, you know? So there's like a fluttering, like, you know, like buried in this thing. And it sounds like almost it's been carefully layered, like to be like this huge wall of sound. I mean, I think if you're listening to it, Pitchworks Review makes a good point. Like if it's not loud enough or you're not like listening on headphones, it might just sound like this sort of like, you know, waterfall of noise, like just this cascading, like, you know, screeching noise. But if you focus in, there's, like, a lot of activity. That's what's so weird. It's, like, for a drone album, it's weirdly frantic. Like, there is, you know, like, just these, like, fluttering things. And, like, it's just constantly, you know, it feels, like, very, uh, you know, fast-paced or, like, weirdly, um, I don't know, it stresses me out a little bit because it's, like, it, things are happening so much. Like, you kind of get what I'm saying, Dan? 
Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I, I think the, the legend of it just being, you know, Lou putting some, some guitars against the amp and, and leaving and then, you know, having a record. The people even, there's even been times he's said that he's never listened to the entire thing himself mm-hmm. before and stuff. And I, I think that all that is, you know, bullshit. Um, yeah. Him fucking with people and whatnot. Um, I think there's careful. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a, obviously like the those guitar noises, like you're talking about. That's not that that those noises don't come from feedback. You know that that's right. that's somebody messing like playing with a guitar and then messing with either the tape or I, I don't I don't know what kind of pedals were available uh, at, at the time, but um, yeah, it, it, there's there's a lot of stuff's getting messed with. Yeah, sure. stuff's being messed with, and it 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 really like evolves a lot. Um, you know, a, a lot of things, uh, a lot of drone stuff, um, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll stay the same for, for, a, a, you know, a right. really long time. And I, this is like one of the, I, 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 it's a real perfect kind of, um, halfway between like a noise record and, uh, a, a, a drone record, I, I think really. Yeah. And it never is the same. Like it, it's changing no, yeah, exactly, constantly, no. which makes it quite interesting. I mean, it's almost like. You know, the, th- the thing that, like, makes you hesitate with this album is you're always like, should I take it seriously or am I being trolled? Like, I think it sounds pretty labored over because there is, it sounds like there's so much layering of sound going on and, like, deliberate evolution as the pieces kind of go. And, you know, I think it's sort of worth taking seriously. And, you know, even if he was fucking around, it ends up being sort of an interesting <laughs> listening experience because I think, like, you start to identify you know, some sort of like progression or something. And it's like hard to tell if you're imagining things into this wall of sound or not. Like, you know, you start to like hear almost like, was that a melody or something? And you're, you, you know, we, we don't know really what was going on. I mean, if it's all guitar feedback, sometimes you're like, you know, that sounds like a synthesizer or like, that sounds like a flute or, you know, it's just like these sped up weird things. I mean, there's stuff to like, you know, dig in and look around at. But what I want to ask you, Darren, is from listening, do you feel like, you know, do you get the sense it's worth taking seriously or that we're being trolled here? I have a really hard time wanting to take this seriously. And <laughs> even the way you were describing, like, imagining things, like, to me, like, you know, are you just forcing something in there that was never really meant to be there to begin with? Like, why would Lou Reed, out of n- seemingly nowhere put a record out like this and then not do something like this again. Like why, why did well, he do I this? Think... If not for some, I'm not saying that he's trying to get out of his record context. Cause that one, that's the one thing that doesn't really seem to make too much sense to me, but like what, what was his reasoning behind it? I, I think the, 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 the way that comes about, you know, people people saying like, you know, he just drops this out of nowhere. Like, yeah, I probably didn't make any sense uh, because he had just cut, you know, he's just getting fame and stuff. It, you know, probably not the time to drop your 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 noise record. Right. But I mean, it's not really that surprising if you look back. You know, the Velvet Underground. That's how I feel. It was, you know, hanging out with Lamont Young. I mean, the the name of the band is is from a book in his apartment. Um, you know the. Sister Reed, or I mean, Sister Reed, Sister Ray. Uh, that's a good band name, by the way. Somebody take that. Um, it is, yeah. Yes, I mean, Sister Ray is like a noise rock, uh, and yeah, I mean, right. obviously, obviously yes. not to this you know full extent, but uh, you know, Black An- uh, Black Angel Death Song and stuff. No, I don't think that stuff right. is ridiculously yeah, far is away. From that, yeah, I'm not. I'm know? not saying that it's like out of his range 
by any means. I don't. I don't think so. It just seems. It just makes. I mean, me I think later in his career, he did get into like sort of creating meditation type music and ambient music and stuff. I mean, way later. But you know, I think it's you know people who are surprised by this were I think people who just didn't know the Velvet Underground because mm-hmm. I think it's all in there. And sure, this is the first time he's gone pure noise, but you know, it's it's. An interesting, it's a very interesting idea. And, you know, he's like hanging out in fucking New York with like, you know, all these people like Lamont Young and Tony Conrad and like Steve Reich and shit. You know, like he's no stranger to avant-garde music. And, you know, I don't know what his motivations are. Maybe there were no like clear motivations. I can almost imagine him like if I'm just purely speculating, like I am just going to fuck around and piss off all the people that keep asking me to, you know, play walk on the wild side over and over again, and then getting really interested <laughs> getting really into <laughs> yeah. it. Like it was maybe sort of ended up being like really fun to make. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's anybody's guess, but I think that you really can listen closely to this. I mean, my thing is, is this, that there's a lot of change throughout the tracks, but not so much that you ever need to listen to this from start to finish all the way through. I mean, I really think just some days you should pick one part and put headphones on and play it loud and listen closely because there's so much like interesting texture and shit going on all around your head. And it's really honestly quite cool. And the idea that some of it is composed of like just guitars affecting each other without anybody like touching them or whatever is you know, makes it really cool process music, like in the realm of the avant-garde, you know, stuff like, um, you know, like, uh, Steve Reich, you know, when he's swinging the microphone over the amp, like that kind of like cool experimentation, really thing outside the box. You can totally hear why this inspired Sonic Youth so much, obviously, you know what I mean? But I think it's impossible. I mean, I did it, but it's not worth listening to start to finish ever. I mean, you guys are going to just think I'm trying to be cool or something, but I listened to this record like probably at least 10 or so times <laughs> start to finish. I, I wow. like a bunch. The patrician. No, I know. I mean, I know I'm like ridiculously patrician, but I, I genuinely enjoyed this. I, I mean, I, I love drone music. I, you know, I'm a huge Lamont Young fan. I love Tony Conrad. I love all those people. John, uh, kale cage all that stuff so you know this is basically right up my alley and i think it's um i i I think the length um is good i get what you're saying gabe like basically you could jump in anywhere here it's not like you, you know you're not missing out if you you know you don't hear the first part but i think the length of drone stuff is is always kind of important you know uh one of the things that's so great about um like Lamont Young's well-tuned piano is that it's five hours, six hours, five hours long. Uh, you know, like it, right. It, that's part of it. I think, you know, this being, if this was a 15 minute, um, album of guitar feedback, I don't think people would, uh, you know, wouldn't, I totally, it wouldn't have this, uh, this, a lot of minimalism, like comes down to like just the sheer size of mm-hmm. like the, the sheer, like hugeness and intimidation of it. I mean, I still think though, that something like, um lamont young's well-tuned piano like sort of yeah you're rarely gonna have a moment to like listen from start to finish but it's sort of like rewarding to do that um this is like you know there are moments where you know people say like they can relax to this and stuff. i mean i found it like very grating and very challenging very painful at points. i listen to it going to sleep for real 
Well, that's ridiculous. But, <laughs> you know, you, you can feel it building in intensity and getting, like, quite painful in the ears at, at points. Um, I mean, what do you think, Darren? Do, do you, can you appreciate the, like, sheer size and scale of this thing? Or do you think, like, there's ever a reason to listen, you know, front to back here? I mean, I think I'm more in line with you, Gabe, in the fact that, like, I just don't see it being necessary to have to consume this entire record in its entirety. When I was listening to the record, I... You know, I, tr- I made it through one time and and didn't realize it was over. I was like, oh, nothing else is happening. The noise has gone away. Um, <laughs> let me start over again and then try to, like, jump tracks and stuff. And it just it didn't make any difference, really. You know, you're just kind of yeah. in, a, in a space somewhere. The problem I have, though, is that I just feel like this is such, like, a niche, you know, genre of music that, you know, when, when Pitchfork comes out and says, like, this is an 8.4 album, I just have a hard time believing that when I listen to it. You know what I mean? Like it's why an, it's an eight point four noise 8. album. Eight point seven actually. Eight point seven. Sorry, eight point seven noise album, or is it like an eight point seven <laughs> album amongst albums? Like stack it up against any other eight point seven album. I, I don't. I don't like that. Um, I. I don't think that you know just because something is not something that appeals to everybody doesn't mean. It's a, you know, it deserves to be an 8.7 with a, you know, with an asterisk because, you know, it's, it's not everyone's going to like it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't like that at all. I mean, not everyone likes rap. And so does a rap album have to be, uh, you know, an 8.7 for a rap album? You would never, yeah. you would never say that for another genre. Basically. But we might say that somebody who doesn't like rap is like wrong and should figure out how to like it no i get that i mean that's a more popular with this it feels like we can say i understand why not everybody will like it no yeah i mean i understand why not everyone will like it and i understand why not everyone uh likes drone or 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 noise music or anything but i just don't think you have to like the shags i throw them in there (laughs) I don't I don't understand that one but uh um you know I don't I don't think it needs the, like a a disclaimer like you know don't read this if you're not into experimental music I think I think Lou Reed being like a big name um you know something that you know maybe your average uh rock fan that's getting into stuff um you know this this is something that could that could bring you down that that ra- uh, route of drone you know i mean maybe you're not gonna hear you know you're gonna not gonna know the name Mersbau until you've like seen it somewhere else you know and maybe yeah. you'll see that from from lou reed i i think it's incredibly valuable that somebody so famous did it but uh, how, I, I don't right, think he, right right that was gonna be my question like how much of Lou Reed's name in the Velvet Underground makes this album worth listening to, or like makes it even? I mean, I, here on the show to where we're actually listening to it. If somebody, some unknown, had something like this, like would it? Well, if it was if it's an unknown, then that you know they wouldn't talk about it because they wouldn't know about it, you know. Uh, but well, what if it came out in 1975? I mean, the, my thing is like, doesn't any album that basically like you know foreshadows or helps inspire or helps invent like an entire genre you know doesn't it deserve a higher score no matter what that genre is you know yeah no i i I completely agree i mean we've talked about plenty of records that we you know have said that you know especially the sunday classics that we're like you know i don't super enjoy this record but i i enjoy it's like you know historical value you know it, it's it, it brought upon this and this, and this is great or what you know whatever and i think this this is one thing i think 
you know, I would not be surprised if a lot of people, I mean, if Sonic Youth, Mertzbow and, uh, and stuff, themselves, you know, like if it wasn't for Lou Reed, uh, a guy who was like famous deciding, fuck it, I'm going to set some guitars against an amp and, and put it on uh, wax, uh, you know, maybe we wouldn't have Sonic Youth. Maybe we wouldn't have Noise. Maybe we wouldn't have uh drone that is uh you know no wave rock yeah any of that shit. you know um you know maybe maybe you know bands like sun or, or boris and stuff that that kind of like melded the the worlds of, of rock and drone i i, f- I feel hard pressed to see how you know it, it, that might not happen if if lou reed didn't didn't kind of do it you know i mean Lamont Young, Tony Conrad, all those things. You know, they're right, sort of right. in that that classical world, and I think he's bringing it here into that that popular music world. Well, what do you think about that, Darren? I mean, I I I like that. You know, I and I have definitely been a proponent of of, of records that mean a lot to, or like landmark albums that mean a lot and influence a lot afterwards, uh, receiving high praise. And I, you know, even at the top of this, like saying stating that this is like a 1975 album, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Um, yeah. Regardless of like, you know, Lou Reed and everything else, like the fact that, because like what I was mentioning, like what if it was an unknown? Well, if it was an unknown, surely, you know, maybe Sonic Youth or somebody would have picked up on it and brought attention to it. And then we'd be talking about it now because of that. And, you know, so I, yeah. I, I think, I but think something like that would have probably would have happened. Yeah. I mean, I also think there's a cool quality to this, which is like, it's very punk rock to, to do this. Mm-hmm. And right. It comes a couple of years before, you know, the punk wave actually starts. And, um, you know, it's like just one of the, you know, whatever the inspiration was. I mean, it, it is a radical, radical thing. And I think even more than just the sound, I mean, people like Sonic Youth were very attracted to that kind of idea, you know. Um, so, yeah, you know, that that's always the essential tension. We talk about it a lot um, where it's like. I would say this is definitely historically significant and worth listening to in that respect. As far as like actual listening, I think it's like sort of worth um, listening closely to, but not all at once. And I mean, it's a goddamn challenge. It's a hard thing to score, but you know, I might, I might just because, you know, by the end, it's like you totally get it. And it's, you know, we didn't talk about the ending by the way, which is that it settles into a lock, locked groove um on the original vinyl pressing and so you know on the cd it's like you get a couple minutes of it but um you know on, on vinyl the, the record could go on forever theoretically which is another cool um quality but um sure i'll agree with the score historically significant difficult to listen to to listen to but i, I think that people should at least check it out yeah so i mean i'm i i think you guys have really convinced me I, i'm inclined to agree with this score i think it's it's got a lot of historical importance i think if you're a velvet underground fan um or even a lurie fan like you should you should definitely check this out i mean this is kind of like a a mo- it seems like as though it is a monumental moment in in noise music and also in Lou Reed's career so yeah yeah i mean like i said i i've, I've genuinely enjoyed this record um I think it's yeah, like I said, historically important. I think it's actually a good thing to listen to. I, I think it's enjoyable, especially. I, I think if you enjoy Drone at all, um, you'll you'll find something you like in this record. You know, whether you want to listen to the whole thing, uh, you know, at once or not. You know, up to you, whatever. Um, I think I'd I'd sure. bump it up a little bit. I think I'd give it like a nine point five. Um, 
what, would you guys rather listen to uh, all of Metal Machine music or just one song from Lulu? Mm. <laughs> See, I, I really, every once in a while, I go back to Lulu because I just think it has to be good. <laughs> like, Lou Reed wouldn't have done it's this. His, it it's his Black good. Star, too, you know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I Like, one day it's going to click for me. I, I'm certain of it. I can't wait till the Sunday classic years from now. Nine nine point six uh Lulu yeah. review. <laughs> I know. See he's still even by the end, he was still like yeah. doing really shocking things. I mean Lou Reed is just such a fucking badass. Alright, up next, Neil Young's Time Fades Away and Zuma. Two albums on Tuesday received the first one a nine point one and the second one an eight point seven, both BNRs in a review by Rob Mitchum. These albums, originally released in 1973 and then 1975, respectively. Uh, basically, in addition to these two, Neil Young's On the Beach from 1974 and Tonight's the Night from 1975 also received vinyl reissues. But I think because Pitchfork has previously reviewed those two, they decided to just review Time Fades Away and Zuma this week. So that's what we're talking about, those two. By the way, though, if you want to hear our thoughts on Tonight's the Night, we discussed it on an earlier episode, which you can find at metaphoricmusic.com. So... We'll start with Time Fades Away. That's the clip that you just heard is from Time Fades Away. It's basically a live album of, at the time, entirely new material recorded during his massive 1972 tour for Harvest, which was by far his most commercially successful record. If you're up on your Tonight's Tonight lore, which we talked about in that last episode, you'll remember that it was this tour that Neil Young's good friend, guitarist Danny Witten, was fired from for drug abuse. The very next day, Wynn died from a fatal overdose, essentially fucking Young and his entire band up, all right, to put it bluntly. They proceeded to binge on drugs and alcohol for the entire tour, and it became a complete legendary shit show. Fans also of this mostly acoustic Harvest, this big hit record, were not happy to find Young playing like really sloppy, electrified rock and roll, uh, not to mention an entire set of songs that they didn't know at all. The album has been out of print for a very long time, and it's basically because Young has admitted that this tour was very, very miserable. So how would you guys describe the sound of this record? You know, would you say it's similar or a little bit different from Tonight's the Night, which I guess is like the defining album of this sort of messy, dark chapter in Neil Young's career? Yeah, I think I think it's a little different from Tonight's the Night. It like Tonight's the Night like refined his like sloppiness, if that makes any sense. Like Mm -hmm. this is a lot more sloppy, but it is a live album, so it's like forgivable. Um, But even though it is just because they're high as shit but um this one's like a lot more uh, you know just i i hate to use this like stupid cliche but it's like just so much more like rock and roll you know just like going out there and and being drunk as shit but like running through some songs you know um so it is it is different from tonight tonight which i think is like a little bit more constrained and slightly more mellow even yeah, I mean, I th- I would pretty much agree. I, I it sounds like time fades away is sort of that you know late night drunken stupor moment that you get into. Um, and whereas like tonight's the night is a little just a little more focused and a little more energy. It seems like going into it, you know. So we talked a lot about the sloppiness, I guess, of 
tonight's the night but in comparison this makes tonight's the night look like a very uh like well articulated <laughs> piece of work you know what i mean you know it's it feels very uneven you know you go from like this you know rock and roll jam kind of thing with time fades away and you know a couple other songs and then all of a sudden you have this like ballad which just is just painful for me to listen to because I, I don't know what it is about Neil young at a piano <laughs> Too heartbreaking it's not that it's heartbreaking it's just like his voice <laughs> it sounds very whiny and it just I, I get no emotional reaction out of the very sad song he's trying to sing yeah so weirdly just as like a side note love in mind which is like a solo piano song on this album there are a couple was actually the only song recorded not on the harvest tour it was recorded like at an earlier date and was actually the same exact show that the needle and the damage done from harvest was recorded at oh that's crazy yeah just indicative of how like fucking confusing neil young's discography is it it, <laughs> it makes no goddamn sense but anyway this is considered like this new step and i'm surprised at what you guys are saying i think that this is like a lot I don't know, heavier than Tonight's Tonight. And to me, sounds a lot more focused. Like there's a consistent sound. And yes, you know, we get these like solo piano songs, but they're kind of like these, I think, logical breaks in the yeah. action of like very heavy, you know, guitar, like loud guitar distorted songs. Tonight's Tonight to me has more of the vibe of like an after show where it's like they're out, they're drained, they're out of energy. It's like, more sad and just more like it just sounds like it's about to fall apart this never sounds like it's about to fall apart to me now i th i think uh, i agree with this one i, th I think you like kind of misunderstood me a little bit uh, this one does sound like very like if it sounds like one piece of work it's like very consistent i meant that like mm -hmm. uh i don't know just like a little bit more sloppy uh than than tonight's tonight but i do agree that tonight's tonight does kind of sound like the the after show of um of tonight of uh time fades away like uh like that prince record we talked about a couple weeks <laughs> yeah ago. i mean I, I think it quite literally was actually like, but that's see when i they think were recorded. Uh, yeah okay i'm thinking of like you know and the review points this out but i i could i could you could clearly hear this without having to read the review um on like yonder stands the center the the vol the vocals like the harmonies are like not really they're not really complimenting each other at all. And it, it just feels like they're, I don't know. It, it just doesn't feel like they are gelling as well as they do on a song like Albuquerque from, um, you know, yeah. tonight, you know what I mean? I, I agree with all of this, but I, I don't think it's like a negative. I, I like the rough, uh, you know type of thing like that like i i think it's like very interesting to hear people that aren't being you know it gets boring when when an album or you know an artist is just constantly everything's completely perfect just like you know every note's played right every you know uh, right, melody's right. perfect i i like the roughness and the rawness so i i like really did like this album i, I don't want people to think i'm shitting on it yeah it's it was actually weird like you know we talked about on that previous episode that i'm not like that into tonight's tonight i think it's i guess it's, i'll agree it's a classic but it's just like not my favorite thing mostly because of like the just jarring like straight up rockers that that seem to happen throughout Those and i expected <laughs> <laughs> yeah right i i expected not to like this record at all and i sort of loved it and it's like i can't I couldn't bring myself to say that it's better than, you know, Tonight's the Night, but I sort of liked it more. I mean, I just found it like, even when it's like rocking, quote unquote, which is my least favorite part of Neil Young, 
it's got like that sloppiness and that sort of like punk edge you know like famously neil young is sometimes called like like he was the only member of the old guard that the punk movement admired and it's because of shit like this like he had this really commercial record and instead of like you know going that direction he goes on this super abrasive like in utero style crazy turn and and this tour is the start of that and it's like loud it's sloppy and maybe it's just because they were fucked up on drugs and alcohol but it's got like a punk energy and a like a punk like in your faceness to his fans you know that were expecting like soft acoustic ballads that I don't know. I really was into it. It's like a more uh, punk uh, version of like what Dylan did going electric, you know, like. Right, right. Uh, I, I do like completely agree with the, the, the it's got like a proto punk sort of feel to mm-hmm. it. Like it's not it's not a complete 180 from, you know, the Stooges or something even. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I admit that I am attracted by the sort of like mythos behind these albums. You know, they call it the ditch trilogy or whatever. You know, I think that that's, that makes this very interesting. And I, I agree with Dan, like any artist that puts out a record that sounds very raw and not well rehearsed and and sloppy even, you know, is there's, especially if they've got a a long career of like very clean, well-designed, you know, albums and stuff. It's, it's very interesting and fascinating to hear something like that. So in that, with that in mind, I do like this record. And one song that comes to mind that I think, you know, is a huge standout was uh, don't be denied, which kind of reminded me of like that Albuquerque kind of feel like that slow, kind of sad, somewhat sloppy, but, still like put together yeah from from that album so that that's definitely a huge highlight for me but those those piano ballads are just like duds for me well i i loved um don't be denied but my favorite song and like it's becoming like my favorite neil young song is la which to me is is just awesome like it, it is it's got like this like crunchy like guitar interplay and then it's like the chorus it's like this uh like these string guitars come in or these slide guitars come in and like a little piano comes in it just like gets like smoothed out i mean i know that uh elliot smith has a song called la and that's probably why i'm that's probably literally the only reason why i'm thinking of it but it reminded me of like an elliot smith style like when elliot smith started to like expand and like bring in all of these instruments and like full band stuff and like the the song structures were so interesting where they would be like a little bit like rollicking and wild and then they would get like that like silky smooth elliot smith you know style um i i love that song was there i mean was there a highlight for you dan uh i i did like that song but really uh, i think that the title track time fades away like i, I don't know it's just like it, it was sort of catchy like the you know the time fades away yeah. refrain i i think i think that was probably my favorite but really i i honestly i like every song on this album i the piano ballads are fine with me everything i i really this was the first time i had ever heard this album honestly and uh i wish i had heard it heard it sooner it's uh it's really great yeah i mean i um had not heard it before as well and i and i, and I agree so let me step back and put you two head to head then so dan yeah debate darren and defend those piano songs <laughs> i just think it's it's uh, well, he just d- d- hates Neil Young when he's at the piano, like at any moment. I, I don't, I don't mind those songs. I, I think it's nice to get that like uh, introspective, uh, you know, Neil Young. I, I think he's got uh, 
not a good voice in like the traditional sense, but maybe sort of how like Dylan has a good voice. Um, yeah. So, you know, you just like, you, you get to hear all that. It's, I don't know. It's just nice when somebody's not doing the same old thing, but it's, you know, it's hard to turn Darren away from the rockers. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I am definitely a sucker for the, you know, the very sad piano solo piano ballads of other artists and stuff. But this just doesn't, I don't know. It just doesn't have an impact on me. It's almost like how weird would it be if you could imagine like Bob Dylan back in the sixties doing a piano ballad and you Neil Young's like kind of whiny voice, just it breaks at weird parts. And I mean, I'm not trying to like say that he has to say like, if he sounded better in tune or whatever, that would somehow make it better. It just doesn't, it doesn't work well for me. The, the best kind of like Neil Young songs are those like, not the, the, the slow kind of like sloppy rockers where he's just like harmonizing and, you know, whatever, like that, those are the best. That's what really brings out the emotion to me. The piano ballads just, I, I could do without them. I think that's, that's fair. As the mediator of that debate, I declare Dan the winner, um, <laughs> just impartially, totally. Uh, I think the, the piano ballads are great. And I, I totally get what you're saying, Darren. Like there are Neil Young songs that are like sort of piano driven solo piano type songs that I find to be a little much. So I get what you're saying, but here I thought it worked well. It was like a great pause in the action and like tied this together beautifully. The bridge I think is like so good. Like that, like, Ooh, babe, like <laughs> refrain. Oh my God. It just hits me. It, it, it's, it's, it's perfect. And it leads into like last dance, which is like an amazing closer. And that's another thing I love about this record is that it has that like arc of like, it, it you know, it actually like moves in, in a direction and like crescendos and, you know, as a whole thing, that outro of, of last dance is like, I've always known that Neil Young was a big influence on Sonic youth, but I think like when they're, when the guitars are really wild and like really sloppy and like the, the feedback is flying and stuff, you know, I, I think you totally hear it on this song and, and I loved it, but I guess I'm gushing uh, a little bit too much and we should probably move on to the next one. But, you know, do you guys agree with that, that score, that 9.1? Is it a classic? I mean, I guess as it was out of print for a while, it kind of got this status of being like a lost classic. So do you agree with that? I agree with the score. I think 9.1 is completely fair. And yeah, I think it's a classic. It, even though it's a quote lost classic, it's not like hard to find. It, it doesn't go for like a lot of money or, you know, on vinyl or anything. Uh, so it's not that difficult. And you can always uh, buy it on the Pono Music Shop and uh, listen to it on your <laughs> Pono Music Player. So, uh, you know, not, not that lost. <laughs> Yeah, I can't give this a 9.1. Um, you know, I definitely like it. I, I think that the, the mythos behind it um, elevates it more, which which is fine. Um, I would I would say maybe like an 8.8, .8, but, you know, definitely not better. Nowhere near better than um, <clears throat> Tonight's the Night. Yeah, I mean, I would personally bump it up a little bit, but I guess just quibbling like 9.3, 9.4, something like that. Let's move on, though, to... I think the less interesting, but still classic, Zuma. Here is a clip. So as Darren alluded to earlier, Neil Young's Ditch trilogy is Time Fades Away, starts there, moves on to On the Beach, and then Tonight's The Night. It comes from a, a quote, I guess, where after this like mainstream success of Harvest, Young famously said he would rather head for the ditch than stay in the middle of the road. So those albums are kind of like rough around the edges, painful, challenging in different ways. 
Zuma, though, is the first album following that trilogy. That's why I said it was kind of strange that, you know, Pitchfork just reviewed these two together. And it's often seen as a return to accessible melodic songwriting like neil young is in a, a better mood again after to quote the allmusic.com review exercising his demons on those previous records would you guys agree with that uh description you know do you think this sounds that much different from time fades away does it sound happier and more accessible yeah it's definitely like more accessible uh isn't like uh cortez the killer that's like a a, a hit of neil young's and stuff it's yeah. it, it is definitely like a i hate to use the term but like return to form uh yeah i think i would agree i mean it it doesn't really fit in with the the darkness of those other three albums though you know i think that there is yeah i think that uh pitchfork what do they call it an epilogue i think that's a pretty cool uh, pretty good description for it um there's a lot more brightness in this in this album and a lot less of the you know sloppy dark super sad stuff yeah i mean it like something like pardon my heart is like a straight up like harvest type song you know it's like that classic like really silky smooth like neil young acoustic folksy uh, a ballad a pop song type of thing and you know it's beautiful um and and nothing like what he'd been doing on that that ditch trilogy but you know there is a lot of like rocking on this album still i guess this is the first album where crazy horse like the finally finalized official crazy horse lineup that is i guess still intact to this day uh this is the first album that his band crazy horse started on and you know they became well known for being quite like a raucous wild live band you know i think they reel it in a little bit it doesn't nearly sound as wild as time fades away but you know you get songs like danger bird which is seven minutes long. Cortez the Killer, I mean, is seven and a half minutes long. It takes like three and a half minutes for the fucking song to start. It's like a three and a half minute intro. I don't know how that's a hit, but it's so good. There's a lot of soloing. There's a lot of soloing and stuff. You know what I mean? I mean, but it's like more mellow, more like smoother and just more digestible. Would you agree with that? And as, as speaking to the solo, uh, I saw Lou Reed uh, said that this is when Young became a, a great guitarist and uh and quoted mm-hmm. danger bird as a as a good example of that yeah i had never really i had never really thought of neil young as a guitar soloist um until you know reading the you know review and then listening to the record more i kind of just thought that he'd have like backing people and they always talk about like danny Witten and his you know whoever right. was in his band they always talk about that so i never really thought about him actually taking yeah. the lead so i i love cortez of killer i think it's great uh, yeah, I always just thought it was somebody else in the band doing all the, the shredding. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what's rad is like, I wouldn't call it like shredding. It's like, right. It's like almost uh, more guitar soloy than I can handle. But for the most part, it's really like kind of punk and cool. Like, yeah. like a Sonic like, Youth like guitar solo. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, or Lou Reed or something. You know, Danger Bird is like, it, it's like sloppy it's like unpredictable it's i mean it, it, it's a million miles from like a jimmy page solo right yeah i agree i use shredding mostly in jest really right right that being said i you know like i said up top found this just much less interesting than time fades away i mean songs like i don't know stupid girl or like yeah it's a bar stool blues yeah. They're just like kind of boring, like yeah. I don't know, this I, kind of rock 
sound. I agree. I, I think this is more for like the Neil Young fan. I, I hate to keep like bringing up Dylan as I often do, but like this reminds me a lot of like Desire, which is like a great Dylan record, but it's not one that like if you're not a Dylan fan, you you know you don't you don't need to have that one. And and that record is also like a, a sort of return to form for him. So like reminded me a lot yeah. of that. And it's just this one. It's a good album, uh, you know. I, I think you'll enjoy it if you like Neil Young. But it's like, you know, if you only got time to listen to three Neil Young records, this wouldn't be one I would I'd tell you to throw right, on. Right. Yeah. Did you have some complaints, Darren? I thought I thought I heard you uh, raising your complaint voice. No, I mean, I was I was agreeing with you about Stupid Girl and Barstool uh, Blues. You know, a lot of a lot of Neil Young records, and I've gone on record to say I'm not a huge Neil Young fan, and I'm still really not a huge Neil Young fan, but a lot of these albums have just serious duds on it, you know? Like, I loved Cortez yeah. the Killer, you know, I love Danger Bird, but as an album as a whole, I, I can't I can't love it, you know what I mean? Because of some of these holes, I would I would really call them, where I, I'm more than willing to, like, skip over those songs to get to the other ones, you know what I mean? I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's so weird. Like, Neil Young is, as an artist, it's just like, it's like you got to piece together your own favorite album. Like, he yeah. has no yeah. obvious, like, great album. And he's not, it's not like a Radiohead where, like, every album is, like, a, a very serious step in a new direction or anything like that. Like, no matter how much I listen to Neil Young, so many of his albums, like, just blur together for me. And it's weird, too, because, I don't know, the way you guys were talking uh, earlier, I wanted to ask you, like, when I was younger, discovering like classic artists, quote unquote, you know, Neil Young in my mind was like this folksy, like troubadour poet guy who's like wearing his heart on his sleeve and play, you know, carrying his acoustic guitar. Uh, I don't know, jump, jumping a train, hopping a train or something like that. And then like every Neil Young record I would check out, it's like a rockin' fucking mm-hmm. roll record. Yeah. And I'd be like, oh, th- this must be the wrong record. I'll, ch- I'll check out a different one. And then it's like, Neil Young is not that guy. Why do I think he's that guy? Am I the only one who thinks he's that guy? I mean, maybe it's because, you know, we hung out when we were young, but I, I always thought the same thing. I always, I thought he was just like the Canadian Bob Dylan and like not really that great. I, I never, I never like super dug him. I've always loved On the Beach as like a album, which strangely enough, yeah. you bring up Radiohead. I heard that song because Radiohead covered it on one of those, uh, you know, millions yeah, right. of uh, bootleg things we used to go through. But yeah, I, I always thought like, oh, you know, just like the shitty version of Bob Dylan. But he like really is like nothing like that. He's I don't get how he gets that uh, that folksy. He doesn't really even have like a, a folksy album. Is is like yeah. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young more in line with that? I'm see, you know, that, I, I know a song where, here and there. That's but. what this is. What I was going to bring up because I, unlike you guys, I was sort of very much raised on like classic rock i guess and so neil young was you don't the, say this, neil young was this guy who was always like the crosby stills and nash like you know not even my dad would listen to that kind of stuff you know what i mean so he, he's always had that kind of thing about him and i've and i've always just stayed away and i you know I, the way you're describing him as the canadian bob dylan that never ever crossed my mind because i thought of him as like the ultra dad my dad's dad kind of rock or something like that you know what i mean you thought it was grandpa rock (laughs) (laughs) well yeah that's what this record is to me it's like mostly unremarkable but i don't know okay inoffensive um so how about that score 8.7 bnr i don't think i 
can agree with that. I, I, I think it's like an 8.0, no BNR. It's like, if you're a Neil Young fan, fine. But what do you guys think? Uh, yeah, I think I completely agree with you on 8.0. Like I said uh, a minute ago, if you're a Neil Young fan, you'll dig it. You know, even if you're not, I think you'll still think it's good, but it's not going to get you super in, super excited on, on old Neil. So don't start there. 8.0, no BNR. I think I'm going to disagree with both of you. I mean, I like the BNR. I'd give it maybe an 8.5, just to quibble about it, the score there for a second. But, you know, I think that the redeeming factor in this um, whole record is Neil Young's guitar playing. You know, I think Cortez the Killer and Danger Bird are worth the price of admission. Um, And anybody who, you know, is even interested in checking out Neil Young, you know, I think it's necessary. If you're you're interested in checking out Neil Young, you have to check out his entire discography or most of it anyway. Um, This is one that you don't want to pass up. So what you just heard was the Sunday Review um, album of the week, which was Neil Young's Tonight's the night. It received a 10. A little bit of background. Um, Obviously, once again, we're talking about another legend of the music industry, uh, Neil Young. This is his sixth album and was mostly recorded in 1973, but it was shelved until 1975. Um, You know, it follows some of Young's most commercially successful albums. Um, you know, the ones that come to mind would definitely be Crosby, Stills and Nash and Young's Deja Vu from 1970 and Neil Young's um, own solo album Harvest from 1972. Not long after that, uh, Young became disillusioned, traumatized due to these drug overdoses of two of his former bandmates, uh, Crazy Horse guitarist Danny Witten and Young's friend and roadie Bruce Berry. Um, a lot of that kind of turmoil definitely was translated into this album and he, uh, Barry himself was actually famously mentioned in the title track and there's also a track on here which wasn't recorded at the same time as the others it was from a 1970 a concert the song come on baby let's go downtown is uh featuring Witten on the guitar and the vocals so here we are guys with another um incredible classic where to begin I guess with albums like these is always kind of a interesting challenge um but let's try to describe the sound uh, gabe do you want to talk about this have you have you heard this record before um yeah i mean of course i've heard it um i've always liked neil young but never like loved love neil young personally i mean um he to me is like this genius that never dropped a total classic i mean even his best albums like after the gold rush and this one you know, there's always like a, uh, I don't know, uh, something that I find kind of a pointless rocker or like an overly sappy ballad or something like that. Um, always there's like a couple missteps um, for me personally. I know this is heresy to say this, but um, so, you know, I've listened to a ton of Neil Young, listened to this album a ton, but just never fully loved any, really any single Neil Young uh, album. Not to mention he's got a pretty complicated and just irritating discography where it's like you know some stuff obviously like you said is released like with other groups crosby stills nash and young for example or buffalo springfield earlier on but then you know some of his albums are like neil young and crazy or summer neil young solo it's like really exhausting and he's released tons of stuff it's, it's hard to keep up with it all and i as much as i've heard i've never heard an album that i adore Am I alone in this? 
No, I actually kind of completely agree with you, Gabe. I I like Neil Young a lot, and uh, sometimes I get in moods where I'll I'll listen to just like all those albums from that classic period, but they're just never they never just like reach that that uh just absolutely love them, you know, like a Bob Dylan record or Beatles or something where it's like just just a complete classic to me. There is always, there's always like some sort of rocker, some goddamn guitar solos, or just like some songs that aren't that great. Like he has, he, he could make like the, the best, uh, greatest hits album, I think maybe, but yeah, just, uh, in this record, it, it is, it is a, a great record, but, uh, I think it's kind of the worst of that classic period from like 1969, uh, up to 1975. It's just, I don't know. I don't think you're alone in this. Um, you know, I'm not, I've never been a big Neil Young fan. Um, and that, you know, that kind of, sometimes it goes a little bit beyond the music, which we don't necessarily have to talk about here. But um, in terms of like the music and what he's put out, I've never, I, I totally agree. I've never really fallen in love with anything. Um, I've, I, I like him in like Buffalo Springfield. I kind of like him in Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Um, and then even here, like he's, he's at his best when he's like playing and kind of like jamming out with a band involved. Um, you mentioned like the sort of sappy ballad. I hate, like I, there's, I hate almost all Neil Young, like sappy ballads. And I feel like he would, he, there's like a five star song, you know, on the album. And then like he drops like borrowed tune, which you guys may hate me for this, but I, I just couldn't, I just can't get into it. And I, I can't stand his, his kind of like whiny crooning singing voice i suppose but when he's like i agree with you that that's the worst song on the record i don't know if it's the worst song on the record but it is you know the one that comes to mind as like the sappy the extra sappy one and yeah yeah it is the one i was kind of thinking of when when talking about this album in particular yeah so i'll i'll be on i'll be listening to the album and i'll be like really enjoying it like in my first few listens i was like god i i just don't know if i can if I'm going to ever love Neil Young, but you know, slowly, but surely songs started to like stand out to me. But, um, like I said, like, you know, when I'm rating songs on iTunes, like I'll give it you know five stars. And usually if it's a classic album, nothing goes below four star. If, if, if there is even a four star, but this one, like I, you know, genuinely did not like a couple of songs on here that I, I would just skip over, um, with additional listens. How many five stars did you hand out Darren? Um, of the 12, I've got like seven of the songs are five stars. Let me hear them. I'm curious which ones you, you want to know every single one. Yeah. I want to know all <laughs> seven. <laughs> um, well, you know, tonight's the night I, I did, I ended up liking that song a whole lot, even though I was kind of annoyed by it at first. Um, okay. world, world on a string. Um, come on, baby, let's go downtown. Dad rockest song. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. You know, you're, you're absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> he was, like, he put that Albuquerque. one on repeat. I, I love, <laughs> I really love the song Albuquerque. I think that's my favorite song on the album. Um, Tired Eyes was the other one, and then Tonight's Tonight Part Two. Oh, okay. All right. I don't know. I mean, for me, it's like the mythology of this album is kind of overwhelming. You know, this kind of actually plays interestingly off of what some of your favorite songs were in that the whole story, like you mentioned, is that he's like kind of this very polished, like folksy, kind of really associated with the Woodstock world, uh, kind of an artist. Um, obviously, like Crosby, Stills and Nash perform there. And, you know, I don't think he was there, but, 
you know, he, he gets involved in this Woodstock scene and, um, all these good vibes and stuff. Uh, but then, you know, the myth is that he experiences this loss of like two of his friends. I think he like, uh, I think it was Bruce Barry, uh, or, or Witten. I, I might be confusing the two, but he kicked him out of the band or kicked him out off the tour for his drug addiction, uh, put him on a bus and sent him back home. And it was like, get clean, man. And the guy dies the next day. So Neil Young feels like personally responsible and just, you know, spirals into this like traumatic kind of like uh, disillusionment with the whole kind of hippie world and all this stuff. So the myth is that he drops this album, which is like very unpolished, very rough around the edges. You know, can anybody help the listeners, you know, understand just how rough this really sounds? Yeah, it is. It's like completely rough. And the, the the story or the legend or whatever goes that he was like very drunk uh, recording a lot of this record. And I think I, I kind of believe this one because there are some where his voice sounds like a little uh, it's almost like there's, you know, only one take or he kind of slurs the words here and there. I think roll another number uh, is like a shining example of him sounding pretty drunk um, on it. And I think that works to his advantage, honestly, because I, I just in general in music, I kind of hate that polished sound. Um, so it's it's nice. I, I enjoy the roughness of it, and I think that adds a, a hell of a lot to this record. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that you know a lot of like borrowed tune and like other sappy sort of ballad songs is when he's trying too hard to sound polished. When I think he belongs in this kind of realm of like just a rip roaring like have a good time have a drink or whatever and like a song like albuquerque just kind of sounds like everybody in the band has sort of just been drinking and kind of just the chorus comes in and they're just sort of like ah, you know i i think that that um works really well for that song and i couldn't imagine if they like tried to clean that up or you know polish it in any way like it it belongs in this sort of like rough and um, I, I didn't, I didn't really think about anything being unfinished, you know, and there's, there's that, there's another story out there that apparently there's another version of this album that exists. Did you guys hear about that? Yeah. There's like this mysterious unheard original version of the album that, that supposedly, um, is, is around, but no one has, but, and it's supposedly like even rougher. Yeah. More, you know, yeah. Well, that's what's, you know, yeah. So that's the interesting myth. And yeah, you can definitely hear some of that like slurring of words and, you know, Neil Young is having a real problem throughout the entirety of this album, like keeping a consistent distance from the microphone. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Like <laughs> he will get so close to the mic and then be like way too far away on the next word. Like he's just like swaying in front of the mic. But, you know, what's weird about this album and like what you guys are getting at is that you put it on and you expect this very dark, very depressed thing. But what you get instead is kind of like a drunk party record. And of course, you know, the backstory and some of the like sadder songs, they add this element of like, I don't know, maybe it's extra horrifying that they would be drinking and partying and like, you know, being so wasted. It's, it's almost like, it's like extra sad because is it something, you know, a defense mechanism just to keep drinking and keeping the party going on, you know, like it's, 
it's just not the album that you expect when you read all that backstory and then put it on for the first time. Do you guys agree with me on that? Uh, no, I agree with you. And I think, I think what you said is completely right. I think it is like that. I get that defense mechanism, uh, feel from it that like he is so depressed that he, you know, drinks and, and tries to forget, uh, his woes, which, uh, you know, doesn't always work and, and so I, I i like that about the album that it isn't just um a collection of like very obviously sad songs i like that it has that drunken um just kind of uh, nihilistic like type feel to it yeah i don't i don't know if i if i hadn't heard any of the backstory in listening to this for the first time i don't think i would have gotten the the idea that like neil young is like super depressed or something was going on um, i agree you know, I, I definitely, you could definitely hear that it's rough and, you know, they're having a a good time, but it's not like a total party, um, high energy kind of album. You know, it almost sounds like the, the 2am, the 3am of a party, you know what I mean? Where there's just a few other, there's just a few people hanging around kind of, again, sort of like what Gabe had said, just trying to keep the party going. So they just don't want to go home or don't want to, you know, yeah. go back to reality. Yeah, that's that's very apt. It is like they don't want to return to reality, so they just got to keep it going. And I, I feel like that's uh, what this record is. Uh, one thing I like about um, one of the other you know myths or whatever of the album is like in the um, insert, there's a picture of a, of Roy Orbison. And it's taken from a bootleg tape. And uh, Neil said that he felt bad that uh, Orbison uh, most likely didn't know that that bootleg uh, existed. So he printed it in the insert so uh, that he would see it. <laughs> so just, it just seems like a very a totally appropriate uh, anecdote to bring into the uh, I just find discussion that so... of loss and heartache. I just find like it's so funny to be like... Oh man, he probably hasn't seen this. Let let me print it. Like, could you just like clip the picture out and like mailed it to Sent him? Sent him or, an like, email. <laughs> yeah, called him and on the phone. Like, and I just find it, that's just so funny. And Neil Neil Young said that like there was supposed to be like a glitter pack pack or something that was supposed to be in the album. So like when you took the record out, it was just supposed to make a mess on the floor. That was just that was all his explanation was for that. Oh, what a dick! It's like that the the aunt who does that like on your birthday card. <laughs> i mean he yeah that's that's what's weird about the record is that he seems totally fucked up and exactly uh, all of that randomness about the presentation and stuff has a fucked up quality to it and it adds an element of darkness to the whole thing like you know the myth the story you hear is that oh he was like kind of a hippie and then all this shit happened and he was he like woke up from this you know, just all of a sudden was confronted with the reality of the life he was living. But actually, he doesn't wake up at all. He just continues to get fucked up and tries to deal with it in the worst way possible. However, you know, is there a difference? Like, the song, Come On Baby, Let's Go Downtown, I know Darren loves it, but it's a shit song. It's like just a stupid <laughs> rock and roll song, right? And so what makes it interesting is that it's, the you know it's uh, danny witten the guitarist who literally died singing a song quite joyfully with neil young about going downtown to score heroin and it's like with the backstory that becomes quite a harrowing centerpiece to the album but is that okay like it's still at the end of the day kind of just a stupid rock song 
that sucks. So is backstory enough to justify that and all the other rockers on here? Yeah, that's a good point. It, this album really, if you know the backstory, I think it is like a lot better. It think things like um, that song. They just, yeah, the album's a lot, frankly, shittier if you don't know the backstory of it. Because, like, like Darren said, even you don't you don't really get that it's like this depressing thing. It just does kind of sound like a of a, a rockin' not quite party but end of the party type record but when you know that backstory you kind of get that the depressing feel of that escape from reality um gives you so yeah i i think the backstory is like too important which kind of you know it's not a book it's a it's a it's a record so it's uh i think that kind of works in its detriment well i don't know i mean i think and we may come to find that this is becoming will become like a common theme where we're like going to constantly talk about these classics and have to talk about all the mythology and stories surrounding it because some of that is really you know adds to the mystique of the record and you know i think makes it helps make it into that kind of classic and you know i i don't know the first time i did listen to it i didn't really read up on the album so i wasn't so impressed with it you know it just kind of sounded like a kind of a 70s rock sort of album i guess and then you know reading into it a little bit more i was like more interested in why these tracks were recorded the way they were you know why did why is there like a random live song thrown in there and ultimately i i think coming out of it i, I think it i think it works you know and i i think it's kind of cool actually um it doesn't really kill the vibe of the album i mean i know you guys think the song sucks itself but uh <laughs> i mean i i, I like it well, I mean, he's certainly trying to inject some of that backstory into the album itself by bookending it with Tonight's Tonight, where he's, you know, naming Bruce Berry and explaining that he died. And it, it's kind of like, you know, like on Danny Brown's records, where you get all these party songs, like on Triple X, for example, but the party songs sort of give way to like, him uh, just like genuinely confronting his like own drug addiction and stuff like that and it adds like a darkness to the party songs um and yes i just successfully connected danny brown and neil young <laughs> i'm proud but, of you for that <laughs> but he's trying to do that you know he is trying you know that that track order is important and and you're supposed to listen to the whole thing, I think, and, you know, have that backstory in mind. I think he, he wants you to. Yeah, probably. And that's probably why there, you know, there are like a lot of things that come with this record. Like there's an insert that has like a, a fake suicide note to uh, somebody called Waterface. There's uh, just all kinds of stuff that comes with the uh, uh, a review in Dutch, just all this weird stuff. So yeah, I think, I think he does want you to at least have some sort of uh, knowledge in it, but there, like how dare, how dare, uh, how Darren had said a lot of those classic records like do have those backstories that lend mystique to it. But like, you know, an album like blonde on blonde, blonde on blonde has that mystique has that backstory. But if you don't know any of that and you put it on it's still a great record, it's maybe better if you know it, but it still is a great record. I think this one drops, um, somewhat significantly. If you, if you're completely oblivious to that fact. 
Yeah, one one thing I don't think I ended up reading up on, but uh, why why did this get shelved? The record label didn't think it was good enough, okay. not commercial enough. Yeah, and it's probably because of the the rawness of it. So uh, they goofed, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's literally following up like the most visibility that he had in his entire career. If this had come out in '73, it would have followed up like. Neil Young as, like, you know, everywhere. Like, in every uh, record store. Even, you know, the Pitchfork Review talks about, like, Harvest. You could find it at every, like, Goodwill, Salvation Army, like, you know, forever. Because it was just one of these ubiquitous things. Yeah. Um, And, you know, just to imagine this album directly following that up. Of course, in reality, we ended up getting On the Beach first. Um, of course, there, there, there's like a live album in between there and stuff like that, too. But we get On the Beach, um, which it works like a primer for, for this record a little bit. This would have been, I think, goddamn shocking. Yeah, I, I I think it is good they got shelved. It on the beach is like a great uh, sort of prequel or, or whatever to this record, a primer. Um, on the Beach, uh, as a side note, is my favorite Neil Young record. But um, you know, I guess we should uh should move on at this point. But you know, one last thing that I want to talk about was for the first time listening to this record, I was uh really noticing its influence on uh the world of music. You know, "Mellow My Mind" is like it's like a pavement song. I mean, the way he's singing, you know, just off key like. You know, I guess he's like drunk or fucked up or whatever, but you know, the whole pavement aesthetic is like, I don't give a shit even to sing correctly. But then there's something like really uh, moving about that. It's like, it's like irony to the point of like transcendence or something where it's like, damn, that dude must be really fucking depressed if he just can't even be bothered to sing right. You know, it's got that like, I just feel this like all over nineties music of like people dealing with this like existential angst or something. And, you know, he's dealing with very real issues, but you know, did you guys feel any of those like fingerprints on the, the world of music here? Yeah. I mean, for sure. This is a, an uh, influential album, you know, it's, it is like somewhat ubiquitous um, all over the scene. I think uh, Neil Young just in general sort of has a bit of a, 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 proto-punk like sort of feel aesthetic to himself right right yeah i hadn't really thought about the pavement influence but um yeah i i I don't i don't know whether i agree with that or not i'd have to kind of listen a little bit more i i didn't really hear anything i guess that that really stuck out to me um in the sense i I feel like it kind of it, it plays like a like a 70s record in a lot of ways i mean it's it's definitely a good record and you know it's definitely not as polished as some of the other ones that were coming out at the time, but I think it, it still today sounds like a kind of a classic, uh, seventies sound. But with that, do you guys, do you guys, um, you guys agree with the, the perfect 10? Nah, it's not a perfect 10, but I, I, I'd give it like a nine. Yeah. I'd, um, you know, I, I kind of liked it this time around more than I, than I ever have. And, and, you know, like I said, started to, started to feel those roots, running from neil young into like pavement and sonic youth and dinosaur jr a little bit more than i ever had and um uh, i feel like 
you know, I'm at like the the low nine point with this album that I always thought was okay. Um, uh, but I do feel like that's growing a little bit. So I might say like a 9.2, 9.3 for now. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I don't think it really is a 10. Um, you know, definitely a low nine. Um, no doubt about it. It's definitely a classic. If, uh, you know, any listener out there has not checked it out yet, then it's definitely, definitely something you got to listen to. It was Neil Young with Trans, which on Sunday, it's our Sunday classic this week, got a 7.8 review by Sam Sadomsky. Quite a bit of background here, as always, with Neil Young. God damn it. Here we go. <laughs> it was originally released in 1982. Uh, we've reviewed several classic Neil Young records uh, since starting this podcast. And while they all seem to require a ton of background information to understand, Trans is probably the strangest and most infamous record in Young's entire catalog. Essentially, Young had closed the 70s with one of his best and most critically acclaimed records called Russ Never Sleeps, which was partly inspired by the emerging punk genre and won him the admiration of the young uh, punk fans who were then rejecting basically every other classic rock artist. However, the next couple years saw Young really phoning it in on a couple forgettable albums that mostly compiled unused recordings from the previous decade. On one hand, Young was distracted from music and instead caring for his young disabled son at this time in his life. But on the other hand, these throwaway albums fulfilled Young's contract with Reprise Records and allowed him to sign a very lucrative contract with the new label Geffen Records. Perhaps you heard of them as uh, Nirvana's label, actually. Um, most importantly, David Geffen promised Young complete artistic control over his music, and he almost certainly regretted that <laughs> as soon as he heard Trans, uh, which is Young's first record for the label. Young had experimented a bit with synthesizers and new wave music on his last album for Reprise, but Trans controversially added the vocoder to the mix, which almost... Uh, completely disguised Young's, you know, very distinctive, very famous voice, and infuriated basically all of his fans. Weirdly, the record also includes three songs from an aborted tropical rock project, which features none of those electronic elements, so that's great. Later, Young would admit that his use of vocoder was inspired by uh, his use of emerging medical technologies to communicate with his son, who was born with cerebral palsy and was unable to speak. Uh, however, Young continued attempting to commit career suicide throughout the 80s, and after releasing an album of rockabilly covers in 1983, doesn't that sound fun, Geffen actually sued Young for making intentionally terrible music. <laughs> right? This is, like, unprecedented. Um Pitchfork's 7.8 review of Trans, while obviously not the greatest score ever, is still surprisingly high for, I'm serious, one of the most hated records in rock history. The review even argues that the technology-themed lyrics have aged quite well, tries to justify the jarring inclusion of these more uh, conventional rock song songs by explaining how they might fit into the overall concept you know technology overwhelming humanity or something like that uh and by tying that concept uh to the themes of young surreal cult film human highway but you can read more about that uh in pitchworks review itself so do you guys have any previous familiarity with uh this album or this weird chapter in neil young's career no i i, I dipped out on, on neil young uh you know at, at in the end of the 70s and uh, i don't think i've listened <laughs> before this to uh, anything past uh, Russ Never Sleeps. Yeah, you guys know I'm not really the biggest Neil Young fan, but yeah, I definitely have never heard of this album, didn't really know anything about what he was doing in the 80s, so this is all 
not really all that surprising, but um, but very interesting. That's very interesting. I, I would have thought you guys were sort of more aware of it. I, I, I remember distinctly. Actually, oh, I've heard of it. I just steer uh, clear of it. Yeah, I, I remember distinctly. There was a show on VH1. Um, it was like 100 most shocking moments in rock and roll history, hosted by Mark McGrath or whatever. Um, <laughs> we used to watch. We used to watch a lot of those. Oh yeah. Yeah, I found it. I found it fascinating, actually. Like, that was where I, you know, like, number two was, like, Kurt Cobain killing himself or whatever. I'm sure that's, like, the show that I found out. Um, but, uh, yeah, one of the things was this whole part of, you know, basically the lawsuit, which was, you know, really weird, right? For a label to sue an artist for, like, sucking so much. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they paid him so much money and gave him complete artistic control, and he just, like, fucked it up. And, you know, I've never listened to it. It was my first time listening, but I... I I find that very, uh, very interesting. So let's try to describe the wonderful, wonderful sound of this record if we can. Yeah, it really, it sounds like a, a man who uh, was very famous, so he had enough money to buy a Synclavier uh, in, in the early 80s, um, and then he <laughs> fucked around with it and recorded some, some dumbass songs about computers um, in 1982, but then uh, couldn't, couldn't think of enough computer-related uh, themes, so he stuck on three songs about islands uh, on the end of it, or uh, not even on the end, like uh, the first throughout. First right, is... Yeah, the first one, yeah. and then... Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. And track At eight... At least tack them on the end so we can skip them. <laughs> track eight is a cover of, like, one of his more famous songs from Buffalo Springfield, which is, of course, very offensive to longtime Neil Young fans. I didn't but, even uh, realize What that. would you add? Well, yeah, what would you add to that description, Darren? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you throw the... the the album on for the first time and you hear the first track you, to me i'm just sort of thinking like this sounds like a a throwaway song from like the eagles or something like it was it was just <laughs> right. that yeah, bad you that's know that's good and then <laughs> track two just takes takes off in this whole robotic uh you know fucking like cheap spaceship ride it sounded like and yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know you still have like beneath it all this sort of typical neil young rock sound you know guitar drums bass and stuff but then right. just being annihilated by this vocoder and these like weird synth sounds <laughs> just it is just awful awful it's a, it's a train wreck yeah, it's basically like this is what it would sound like if Kraftwerk was the worst band you've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, so I've heard people call it, you know, Neil Young meets Kraftwerk, but don't let that get you excited. Yeah, no, no, no. It's that in the worst possible way. <laughs> and it, it doesn't sound like, I mean, like if the guys from Kraftwerk teamed up with Neil Young, I'm sure that would be a hell of a record. Instead, like you said, Dan, it's somebody who doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Like it sounds very amateur and like just fucking around level use of electronic instrumentation um tacked on to like rock songs basically and we're already at the point where like neil young has lost you know lost the, the spark basically mm -hmm. it's not like he's writing stuff the quality of like the needle and the damage done and it just happens to have a vocoder on no it's like <laughs> the songs are yeah shitty eagles b-sides like darren said and then really just awful crude i mean it's 1982 like synthesizer wasn't just invented but he's playing around on it like it's a toy still right yeah. which is sort of how you imagine like really early electronic music being so 
It's like the worst of several worlds, um, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- it's it's so amateur. Things like like one of the songs is called "Sample and Hold," which is like a function on most <laughs> modular synthesizers. It's like he's just sitting there and he's like, "Oh shit, what do I sing about?" And he's reading he's reading the little you know little yeah, uh, yeah. titles that are written on the on the modular portion, and he's like, "Oh, sample and hold. That sounds cool." Throw that in there. At the least the Robot album cover voice. is uh, great. Oh god! Yeah, was was he going for an Audubon feel uh, with the with the cars <laughs> and the craftwork shit? I love like the oh. font of his like name and the name track. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I would love that just in actual neon letters. <laughs> Do you guys buy the you know his son thing and like sort of tapping into? you know, these medical technologies that he's using to try to communicate with his son. And that's why he wanted to kind of disguise his voice. He was sort of like tapping in. Do you buy that? Or do you feel more like this is some weird career suicide moment? Like what? Uh, I mean, I don't know how to feel. I mean, even if that's true, you know, and I'll, I'll for, for one moment, I'll suspend belief and give him the benefit of the <laughs> doubt here. You know, this still sounds like a guy who is, you know, somehow he's like past his prime trying to discover or just now discovering what like new wave music is and without <clears throat> without yeah. really like talking to anybody who would be considered an expert he just kind of buys up the equipment and plays with it and says yep here here it is you know right this is it yeah yeah exactly you know if you just read that story like that sounds like a rad idea for an album like that that's that's, that's that's a pretty cool concept. And I would believe it if the songs were like about themes that had to do with that or something. But they're not. They're just about like dumbass uh like early computer stuff like we are yeah. in control with with just an R. Uh you know, not not the words <laughs> yeah. spelled out because you know, on a computer. And then let's let's go with there's a song called Computer Cowboy. Let like Come on. What is that what the fuck does that have to do know, with with medical technology, you know? It, it's computer yeah, know. cowboy. It, it's ridiculous. I I wish he would have done that because that sounds like a cool record. Yeah, I mean, I think he's pretty clearly just fucking around and I kind of wonder like I don't know, is he so brilliant that he realized he was a he had like lost the songwriting spark so he was like nobody will be able to you know, be able to say that I lost it if I just fuck around for the next 10 years, you know, like, I don't know. So would you, Dan, sort of rank this, like, you know, we think about like the great baffling mysteries of music history, stuff like um, Bob Dylan's self-portrait comes to mind, right? Which is sort of like him, like almost self-sabotaging at the height of his songwriting powers and stuff um or like lou reed's metal machine music which is like i guess him fucking over his label making sort of accidentally inventing noise music by making a an unlistenable album of like just feedback and stuff would you put this in that camp or is it like just shit no it doesn't um it doesn't sound like that you know i i'm a huge bob dylan fan as as listeners would know and i i love lou reed almost as much um both of those people seem one like people who would pull a scheme like that and <laughs> and if you listen to both of those records it like really sounds like they've they've pulled a scheme you know it, dylan did uh, the songs on on self portrait are like he's added things especially when you listen later on you know they released like the the stripped down version like demo versions and they're actually good songs like he's he's clearly right. fucking around uh like neil young just sounds like like i said like somebody who bought a Singlavier 
and like just didn't know what to do and it, it really like it, it it feels like he's grasping at, at relevancy you know uh, darren brought up like he's he's trying to b- become new wave music but he like doesn't quite know enough about it or or whatever like this doesn't seem like somebody who's like doing a fuck you to, to, to a label. He's, he's doing a, I I just am trying to stay, you know, in the now and, and I'm failing at it. That that's what I get from this. Well, so 7.8, you know, for one of the most hated rock albums, you know, in history, uh, feels a bit generous to me, but I, I'm I'm still sort of working it out. What what is your where are you guys you know feeling in a in a score? Yeah, I mean seven point eight is incredibly generous. Uh, it's it's hard to really even score this. It's just I mean it, it's somewhere like a it's like a three. I mean there's like some no, there's like a novelty in like hearing Neil Young yeah, yeah. fuck around on a vocoder for, for forty five <laughs> minutes or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, uh, you know I mean that that wanes quickly. So it's. Right. Mm-hmm. it's kind of worth a listen like just for how shit it is but um you know it's like one of those movies that are just awful but it's kind of fun to watch it, it's it's a little yeah. bit like that you know i mean who doesn't love computer cowboy as a as a song <laughs> it's like a yeah it's like a famously bad album so like you know it's it's important obviously to listen to the most famous and critically acclaimed albums but sometimes it's interesting to check out the worst of the worst and ones that have that have an interesting interesting story and i feel like you know as much as this album is like terrible i i do think it's is interesting thinking about neil young's career and then kind of just this dud that sticks out you know um so it's worth a listen in that respect but as, as far as like scoring it on like a classic scale i've got to go with dan i mean this is less than a five i mean this this makes the yeah. world a worse place i i would give it maybe a a uh, a three point seven. <laughs> yeah, I gotta agree. You know, I'm. I'm uh, I want to give it a zero. I actually, I want to give it. I don't know. Like in some weird way, it's like those three stupid rock songs. If he just committed to the fucking electronic thing, I would, would raise be it. I would raise my score quite a bit if he just co- yeah. committed fully. Yeah, I would yeah, respect yeah, that yeah, at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it would be like a. It would still be a novelty album, like you said, but it would be like listenable. But as is, it's just baffling. It's bafflingly shitty. So I'd give it like a two or something. Um, 